Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of The Mental Health Marriage, Beth Bush and the life-changing power of self-coaching. This is a podcast for the spouses and partners of those who are mentally ill. I'm your host, and for the sake of my husband's anonymity, you can call me M. As the spouse of a man with bipolar 2 and depression, I will share my story, my struggles, and my insights with you, and also share conversations with people like you whose stories need to be heard. I hope to build a community where we can all laugh and cry together at the paradox and irony that mental illness can be, and help each other keep it together and thrive despite the major setbacks. I believe we create our futures and that we can make better lives for ourselves and our families. Well, you guys, I'm like really excited about a lot of things today. First of all, episode number 20 feels like a celebration to me. (laughs) Um, It's not a lot compared to a lot of the podcasts out there, but knowing the amount of work that it takes to even put out one episode, I'm proud that we're up to 20. So in this episode that we're going to give you guys today, I feel like is the timing of it is so perfect. If you're listening in real time, um, us across the United States are going through a lot of social isolation, trying to combat COVID-19. I live in the state of Washington, which you've probably figured out because I allude to it, but I'll just for straight up say it. So they canceled school for my kids for the next six weeks. And there's just you know, normal life seems to just have come to a halt. So it's pretty crazy. And a lot of people are feeling very anxious, understandably so. So we're going to be talking about where our feelings come from and how we can redirect our thoughts so that we can have positive feelings and be grateful for what we have now and especially how it relates to mental illness. Um, You'll get to know Beth during this interview, but just a background, she has been certified through the Life Coach School, which is something that I use as one of my resources for the podcast. I really think that everything they teach there creates amazing effect in your life. So I'm just so excited that Beth reached out to me. She's definitely has her own personal experience in her own marriage being married to someone with bipolar 2 as well. So she has a perfect perspective for all of you out there. So before we dive into this interview, which I know you'll love, there's so many things that I need to say. So sorry, but (laughs) first of all, thank you to everyone who has donated to the podcast on Patreon. It really does keep this podcast going and keep it on the air. And I would invite you, even if you contribute just a dollar, that that helps me so much. And so I would invite you to do that. You go to www.patreon.com slash mental health marriage, and you can do a one-time donation or a monthly donation and any little tiny thing helps. So another thing, the audio on my end at the end of this interview cut out kind of suddenly And luckily I noticed it because I was watching my levels, but if it feels like this came to an abrupt halt, that's why. (laughs) So I'm planning on doing a part two of this episode, which I would have wanted to do anyway, because really there's just so much to talk about and she has so many things that are so helpful for all of us. So be expecting a part two, but if it feels like an abrupt end, that is why. And lastly, I, you can skip through this part if you don't care, but I thought I would give you an update on our life. There have been tons of things happening with us. And first of all is that I am actually pregnant with our third child. So I'm obviously very excited. It's, it was planned and this was a decision we did not come to lightly for obvious reasons. Um, When you have the factor of mental illness in there, any life change is a little bit, a lot more scary. And I know that having an infant's gonna be hard for us because anything that disrupts sleep just really just (laughs) is hard. My three-year-old's not sleeping well right now and my husband has been up, like he hasn't slept in a week and it's scary and I really hope we don't have a crash. And another thing that's happened is um, my husband's job got, um, he got turned from a full-time to a part-time employee. So that majorly sucks. And it will probably result in us finding a new job and moving within the next year. So that's, that's another thing we're dealing with. And then on top of that, this whole coronavirus thing is happening. So it kind of feels like things were free sailing, going really well. And then 
everything hits at once. But I, I'm proud to say I did recognize my own tendency to that whole fight or flight, which we will talk about in this episode. And I caught it in its tracks, and I have not overreacted. And we've made plans, and luckily we've prepared. We've, we've been building up a savings because we kind of knew that his job wasn't 100% secure up here. So we've been making plans for when this would happen. So, and also, if you've listened to previous episodes, you all probably know I don't plan on staying here forever. So this is kind of just a kick in the butt for my husband to get us where we actually want to be. So in the long run, I think it's a good thing. Of course, with the baby coming, the timing kind of stinks. But, you know, it is what it is. And now I am quarantined at home with our kids and my husband's working less, which is good because he can help me more. But but at the same time, I'm just really trying to think about what are all the good things that we can take from this time. And so we're going to be spending a lot of time with our kids and doing meaningful things together. So I'm actually kind of excited And even though things are uncertain right now, I really have just learned to embrace, embrace the uncertainty and I'm not surprised by it. Stuff happens. Like if you're expecting things to go perfectly all the time, you're lying to yourself. So I'm like, oh, okay, here's a bump in the road. This doesn't surprise me. The future is still, is still bright. So, so yeah, a lot of crazy stuff with us. Um, I hope that you guys find this interview as helpful as I did. There's just, if we can be aware of our own thinking, we get power back in our lives. And that's basically what we're going to learn as we talk with Beth. So here it is. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Beth Bush. So glad that you could talk with us today. Thank you so much, and for having me on. I'm very excited to talk to you and talk to your listeners. I'm excited to be here. Well, I feel like you were sort of gold falling out of the sky because <laughs> I love the yeah. work of um, Brooke Castillo in the Life Coach School, and I follow her podcast. And so then you emailed me saying that you had been certified through there, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is perfect. This is exactly who I want to talk to. So I appreciate you reaching out. Oh, this is awesome. I feel the same way. I had stumbled upon your po- podcast. I had done the search because in my mind, there really is not a whole lot out there that no. speaks to the spouses and the partners of people with uh, married to or partnered with uh, people with mental health issues or bipolar specifically. And so when I found your podcast, I thought, oh my goodness. And of course, I gobbled up the episodes and you had had an episode with it on... I'm trying to remember which one it was. I talked about love in a way that I directly got from from Brooke. (laughs) And when you referenced it, I was like, oh, my goodness. I've got to reach out and just touch base with you and let you know that, hey, you've got a fellow sojourner on this road with you. And um, I know of what you speak. It was so exciting to me. So, yeah, I was absolutely excited to, to reach out to you. Okay, well, I just, I feel, I just know I'm going to learn a lot today, so I'm excited to jump in. So let's, you, you have a special perspective, because not only are you certified through the Life Coach School, but you've, you've gone through all these things that our listeners have, and that I have, we were talking a little bit before we recorded, and it almost felt Mm -hmm. like someone else telling me my own life story. (laughs) Like That really is (laughs) kind of what it felt like. So can you give us a kind of a brief we want to save time to talk about all the life coaching stuff but give us a background as about your marriage you've been married for 20 years is that right yeah well I like you round up so when I heard you say that you rounded up I was (laughs) like oh we're gonna be soul sisters because I do the same thing it feels like I've been married forever yeah it feels like a long long time and um, it will be, we married in 2001, so to take you all the way back to 2001. So 25 years. 20, <laughs> yeah, right. Basically 30. Basically right, 30. right. So to take, to walk us back to, you know, here I am, this little 28-year-old, and um, I had actually just gone through a divorce. Okay. So I was married for four years prior to that, very young. I was 23, wow. and that spouse uh, decided to cheat on me, 
And in the most awful way Ugh. on mission trips, like he was doing the Lord's work. Oh, my goodness. And he was also really ministering to lots of teenage <laughs> girls, evidently. So That's awful. Um, you know, I know. It was pretty bad, but it, it was fun. It was a learning lesson, and I was able to get out of that situation. And I moved home, and um, I had decided, you know what, it, I would love to be partnered with someone, but... I want to make a better decision. I want to, you know, find someone that suits me better, whatever. Right. And so in walks my husband. And um, at the time he wasn't, but I thought, oh, my goodness, how lucky is this? He seems so great. And he's so kind. And he's so nice. And he listens to me and all the right things. Right. Yeah. And I had seen some red flags along the way. But I made a decision, and I just thought, you know what, that'll just work out. And he is undiagnosed, so he doesn't... Right. He had not... Neither one of us, we were both clueless on that front. And our dating, if you would call it that, was only six months. I mean, we dated very, very short amount of time. And he had alluded to the fact that he experienced depression. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's fairly common among single people and among all of us, really, we all experience times where we feel down or go through a period where we're in a funk or whatever. And um, I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. I've gone through, I've experienced that myself and didn't think much of it. So we had this whirlwind dating experience. We get married and six months into our marriage, he has a break, I'm assuming. It, it was, um, he came into the bedroom, I remember, and it was almost like his brain was in mid-thought, like he'd already processed this whole story, this whole conspiracy theory, his mistrust of me, whatever his story oh, was. Yeah. And he started in on me. And I looked at him and I said, wait, where is this coming from? What are you talking about? And the more I pressed him on what the issue was, the more I tried, to, I tried to make sense of it, the more irritated he became at me. Hmm. And I remember I walked out of the house and I was crying because I thought, I've got to get space. I don't know what is going on. This is the craziest thing I've ever done in my life. So then, now I'm keeping on blame, right? So now I start beating myself up because I'm thinking I've made another terrible decision. Yeah. I, what have I done? Now I'm embarrassed. Now I'm thinking, well, how do I explain to my parents this? Oh, oh by the way, <laughs> I may be going through another divorce, mom and dad. That's so, so heartbreaking how we jump yeah. straight to everyone so in my life going to think I'm an idiot. Exactly. Oh. And so you try to be the good wife and you try to be the good spouse. And I was raised very conservatively, very religiously. Mm-hmm. And um, I held very, I still hold very strongly to those beliefs. And so another aspect of that layered on was I've got to make this work. Like I made a commitment in front of my family and before God. And so I've I've got to dig in. And we struggled through that from 2001 until 2007. And in that time, he lost, he was fired, I think, twice. He went through a period of really, really dark depression for a year and a half. I was teaching at a small private school, and I would call him every day on my break period. And I I think I woke him up, and he shifted from the bed to the chair in the den. And by the time I came home after school, I, I really think he spent most of the day just staring out the window. It was a really dark time. But in the midst of that, me trying to be the good wife and all the things, I really protected and sheltered him. I made everyone else believe that everything was okay, it's all fine. And the whole time, you know, we're struggling through this issue, not knowing what it is. And I, I threaten, I do all the things. I'm like, if this does, if you don't go get help, I'm going to leave. All the ultimatums. And he finally went to our church counselor, who I think only had to speak to him for about 10 minutes before referring him to a psychiatrist. He went to the psychiatrist, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 2. 
he came home. Oh, he didn't even go home. He met me at school. He came bursting into my first grade classroom at the time. And my kids were on break. And he was like, oh, I've just been to the doctor. I know what I have. And he was, like, excited and proud about being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And uh, and I'm on lithium. And I, I said, Shh, you, you can't just go blurting that out. And he said, oh, it's fine. I just saw one of your parents, of one of the kids you teach, and I told her. And I said, <laughs> I said no. Right? And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, because we, and I, because I hadn't even processed it fully. And in my mind, I didn't know of anyone in my life that dealt with mental health issues. I didn't know what, what is bipolar disorder. I didn't have any reference for it. All I knew was what they show on movies and what I read in, you know, my, my books that I read. And to me, I was thinking, Oh, gosh. So I had my own stigma about it. And right around that time of his diagnosis, he had decided already that it would be a fabulous time to uproot our family and move us to Louisiana because it was post-Katrina. My husband is in construction, primarily roofing, and um, he, in his words, was going to make all the money. He's going to make so much money in South Louisiana post-Katrina. Never... Yeah. Yeah. But prior to that, there was no, prior to, to medication and prior to diagnosis, he was already out there with these grandiose ideas, mm-hmm. never fully processing that, oh my goodness, the market may be saturated. Um, maybe there, what if there's not enough work and to, you know, even have the, here I am going to uproot my family in the meantime. I'm pregnant with our second child. I have a three-year-old, and we're kind of existing and surviving on our own back in Houston. Mm-hmm. And he's he's in Louisiana. He's having a great time. <laughs> he's living it up, evidently. Yeah. So, you know, beyond I, even though I was resistant, I was very resistant to the move. He was very persuasive, and I finally said to him, this is going to have to be your decision. You have to make this call, because I will always say no to that move. Mm. So he decided that a way that he would say yes was to go ahead and purchase a piece of property, because his idea was to build a house, and that's what he told me. He had come in that day after telling me his diagnosis, and shortly after that, he said, well, I bought a piece of property. And we're going to be moving as soon as I build the house. And so, long story short, we were out in Louisiana for seven years. And during that seven years, we went month to month, hand to mouth. It was not what he had conveyed to me at the beginning. Yeah. Of course, you know, his mind thought was definitely different from reality. Through the course, even though he was medicated, and here's where I, my thoughts came into play. My thought was, oh, now that he's medicated, things will go back to normal, which never existed, yeah. right? There was no normal. And, but he'll be fine. He'll be better. And that wasn't the case. What happened with the medication that we now know is it just kind of levels. It takes the edge off, right? Yeah. But those things. He was still having those mood swings. So after I moved, here I am with a three-year-old and a baby on the way, he wouldn't speak to me. He would come in about 8.30 at night. He would eat dinner. He'd go to bed. And he did that for the longest time. So there was no, yeah, there was no, like, helping with the toddler, helping with transition. He didn't take a day off of work to help me unpack. I was completely alone, completely isolated. I don't know anyone in this town. Um, And if anyone's ever moved to Louisiana or is from Louisiana, it's very familial. If they don't know you, you're an outsider to them. If they don't know your last name or where you went to high school, if they can't make a connection, 
they're very wary of, of outsiders kind of coming in. Yeah. yeah so as that. nice and as yeah, as nice and as friendly as they are, they're still very they're very guarded. And here we are coming in from Texas. Um, so they definitely had their own opinions and thoughts about who yeah, we were. Yeah. So um, I did that for seven years, and I started waking up a little bit near the end of those seven years because I kept pressing him on, this isn't working. You're not making any money. What's going on? We're, we're making it hand to mouth. We're, we're surviving. It needs to. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you end up surviving throughout your days, right? And yeah. what I've come to know now is that my husband, because of his mental health issue, he's doing good just to survive one day at a time. Yeah. And what I had done was attach all of my emotional power and give it to him. So when he was in survival mode, I was in survival mode. When he was down and depressed, I was down and depressed. I gave him all of my power. And I made it where he needed to be fit. He needed to change. Yep. I and wanted him to be like, fixed. It feels like empathy and support. Like that's what you tell yourself mm. it is. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it's you being a good wife, yeah. right? It's you. Right, because what did, what did I do? I read all the books, and I wanted him to read them, too. I went to all the seminars. I went to all the conferences. And then I wanted to drag him along with me. I went to the psychiatrist. I went to counseling. I wanted to drag him there with me. Right? Because we've got to fix him. Yep. I'm not the problem. Our life will He's be better the one with the mental. Fix him. Yes. Yep. And so then one day I woke up, and I went, wait a second. Last time I checked... God gave me a brain, too, and I have a master's degree in teaching. What am I doing? What am I doing? So I marched in, and I'd been crying. Like, I spent most of those seven years, like, crying and begging God to fix him. And there was always this little nudge in the the base of who I was that was saying, change comes from you. Change comes from you. But I didn't, I didn't fully want to acknowledge it or embrace it, right? Because I knew that that meant work right? for me. And at the time, you're, you're so overwhelmed and you're so stressed out and you're raising the kids and you've got a baby and you've got all the things. You think, Lord, I can't do one more thing. Don't ask me to do one more thing. Change him. Do you think maybe having a spouse with mental illness makes you feel like you're the exception to the rule. Like, sure, everybody else (laughs) needs to change themselves, but you don't understand. Like, this is not my fault. Yes, yes. And it's part of that. (laughs) Giving all of our power away makes us us the victim, Mm -hmm. right? And so then I can blame, I can blame everybody else as to why I'm not changing, but you don't understand, right? That becomes our kind of our mantra. And we kind of sit in that victim mentality, that victim space. It doesn't serve us at all, right? It's like sure so-and-so so is happy and successful, but they don't have this thing. So. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It became very difficult for me to look at Facebook and look at Instagram. Oh, it's still difficult, yeah. but for yeah, different reasons. But <laughs> Right? It's gone to a whole new level. I'll say to people but, who have joined my Facebook page for this podcast, <laughs> I'm the worst, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm <laughs> And I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So I marched in and I said, here's the deal. He was in the kitchen and I marched into the kitchen and I said, I'm going to take the kids back to Texas. I'm going to go back and teach. I love you. I would love for you to join us. But if you choose not to, totally okay. But I'm going to go back home. This is ridiculous. And now it took me, now here we are, I'm seven years into this deal, right? Mm -hmm. And that was, that sounds like really bold, like, oh, they were so brave. No, I was not. (laughs) I was was brave. (laughs) I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had no idea. And, you know, I just, my little smarty pants fell, you know, going in and marching in there. And um, he 
was probably very resentful. I know he was angry because I'd held a seat. I held a seat to the fire. It was not a decision that he wanted to make, but that was okay. I was like, I know that you don't want to make this decision, and it's okay, right? So it was that beginning for me of waking up. So we moved back to Texas. We have to live with my mom for a while uh, until we can get a find a rental home and get our stuff situated. And I did find a teaching degree. Now, to just to flip it just for a second, I will say this about him: because he was so angry <laughs> about moving, he told me he said, "If we move, you have to get a job. You have to work." Right, because I've been taking care of the kids yeah. this entire time, and I thought, okay, that's fine. That was the plan anyway. But oof, talk about—I mean, that—that's tough, right? That's—that's that's a pretty tough little power play that he wanted to yeah. say right there at the For end. Sure. So we come back, and I get the job, and um, I start teaching. Now, teaching had really changed from when I was in brand new school teacher back in 1998 and teaching in a really small little school in Tennessee and loving it. It was fabulous. It was so great. We had so much freedom as teachers to now, here it is, 2013, 2014, um, things have changed. Now you're required to get in way, way early. You're required to tutor on the front end, tutor on the back end. You're required to stay late. Um, and here I have these kids at home. They're getting home before me. So it was that pull. Now I'm stressed out at work. I'm stressed because I'm not with the kids. And for a while, my husband still didn't have a job. He's still searching to find his footing. So we did that for about three years. And, um, I was putting up, I think my husband, he says that he doesn't lie. (laughs) but I like to tell him that what he does is he lies by omission. So he just won't tell me things, right? Because why? He doesn't want me to get mad. I can't imagine where he gets that idea. (laughs) But (laughs) but he doesn't want to set me off, right? Because I had put myself in our marriage as his mom, Mm -hmm. as the caretaker, as the one holding it all together. I controlled everything, right? Because he was, quote, in my mind, so out of control. I've got to, I've got to ramp this thing up. So now I've put him in a position where he's lying by omission and not really telling me the full truth, yeah. not really speaking his truth because I'll freak out. So I was catching him in more and more lies and I was working at a new school, and it was stressful, as all teaching gigs are. And Have um, I mentioned on the podcast that I was a school teacher as well? No, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I taught sixth grade for about know. four years. Did you? Yeah. Listen. So, like, when listen. you say, and I taught when I was still <laughs> single, so I cannot mm. imagine teaching and coming home to kids without help. I, I could not make it through the day. It's oh, listen. so emotionally and physically exhausting. Like, <laughs> Yes. <sighs> yes. And one of the things that we talk about when, we'll t- when we talk about self-coaching and we talk about life coaching is buffering. And so oh, to, yes. um, to, to support that stress, because I had all this stress, I was buffering in really unhealthy ways. I was buffering with a lot of food, overeating, and I was mm-hmm. buffering with alcohol. So I would come home and I would go through, I, when I started going through a bottle of Moscato every night, I thought, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. This is bananas to me. If I'm having to drink four glasses of wine just so I can decompress from a day at 8.30 at night, that's bananas. We're not going to do this. Yeah. So and- that was something else that that we do right we suffer with all of these really unhealthy things that Mm -hmm. are that are just compounding the negative results that we're getting in our life anyway I was catching him in these lies of omission and and I came home one day and something was kind of in the back of my head like you need to check his phone you need to check his phone 
And it was 2017, March of 2017. And I looked at his phone, and he's got a pornography website on his phone. And I, I hit the roof. I just, that was probably the final, that was, it was, it was the final straw for me. And I remember getting that because he didn't want to admit to it. He wanted to downplay it. He wanted to say it wasn't that big of a deal. And I finally got it out of him that he had been looking at pornography websites for eight years. Oh, man. Eight years. And at the time, that was half of our marriage. That was back when our youngest was a baby. And I was devastated. And all of this is prior to life coaching. I had no idea about self-coaching and life coaching, none mm-hmm. of the things, none of the tools that we have now. And I was so angry. And I went into, well, you've got to fix it mode, right? You got to, you've got to fix this. You've got this problem. You get it fixed. I was on the phone with people that we've gone to church with that know us. Um, one of the people I contacted, he has, he's on the board of a Christian counseling group and he referred Matt, my husband to um, a program and he went through the program. But because of his bipolar, those programs are only so effective, Yeah. right? There's, mm-hmm. there's only so much change that can take place because of their own thoughts and their thinking. And yet, once again, I was looking for all these external things to fix my prop, my husband. If he's fixed, then I'll be happy. If he can just get it together, I can get it together. And I spent the next, let's see, that was 2017. I spent the next two years researching and watching YouTube videos on narcissism. I mean, I was like (laughs) a dog with a bone. Like I was trying to find all of the solutions and all of the answers, and there has to be Like, what can we do? What can I do? And I knew that I didn't want to divorce. And let me rephrase that. I wanted to because I felt like that would be a quick fix. Let me just get away from him. Right. But we've got kids. Yep. Right? And so now I'm faced with, it's a huge deal. And now what I'm faced with is if I divorce, they will now have unsupervised visitation yeah. with my husband yep. who's bipolar. And I will no longer have any idea if he's medicating himself, if he's taking care of himself properly. I also know enough about my husband that if I chose that route, he probably would not take care of himself. Yeah, he would li- He'd be liable to show up on the soccer field watching a game with my kids and spout off all kinds of crazy. Yeah. So I really had, divorce is hard no matter what. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's a difficult choice that we sometimes have to make. But when we are talking about divorcing from someone with a mental health issue, I think it takes it up a notch or two. I now think we've it, got some it, like at moments it feels like their life is in your hands. I've, I've felt that way. Yeah. 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 And that's a whole heck of a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah. And so you weigh out the delicate balance of, is it better for me to walk with my kids and preserve them and keep them as intact as possible and create our own family, our new family, Mm -hmm. what family could look like in a new way? And, or do I stay and just create that here? And what I learned through life coaching, when I finally fell into it, I had started listening to Brooke Castillo's podcast, which I highly recommend. It's amazing. And she um, always spoke about the self-coaching scholars program that they offer. And I thought that's very interesting. And so I signed up for self-coaching scholars. I was in it for all of one month when she had opened enrollment for her life coaching program. And I remember having a conversation with my mom I said, Mom, I've got a crazy idea. And she said, what's new? And I said, (laughs) (laughs) said, I'm thinking about being a life coach. And she said, oh, my goodness, I think that'd be fabulous. And she said, because I really didn't know what she would think. 
And being the people pleaser that I am and was, I was the major people pleaser at the time, um, I really was concerned about what other people would think, right? Now I know it's none of my business and I, it doesn't, right? It, not that it doesn't matter, but it really doesn't concern me. Yeah. But at the time, I was really invested in that. And um, she totally put her stamp of approval on it and I went all in. I stayed in self-coaching scholars alongside the life coaching program. Okay. And it went deep. So with self-coaching, you learn kind of the basics. You learn how to coach yourself and really transform your thought process. And that really, it's not the circumstance in our life that creates the results for ourselves. It's what we think about the circumstance. It was the story that I gave about my husband having bipolar. It was the story that I gave my husband looking at pornography. I, I made that mean something about me, yeah. that he didn't love me, that he didn't value me. I wasn't worthy. I made my marriage to my husband that had bipolar disorder mean that I had made a horrible mistake. I made it mean really, really awful things. And what we know through our self-coaching ourselves is that we have a circumstance, and those are facts. They have to be proven in a court of law. So what I had to boil everything down to was I am married to a man who's diagnosed with bipolar. That's it. Then whatever I thought about that was a story. And here's what's so exciting about walking through coaching is that I get to decide whatever I want to think about that. And, and for so long, no one told me that I could choose. No one told me that I had a choice. And the biggest thing that I'm learning through all of this is that every single one of us gets to decide what we want to think about whatever is going on in our life. That's and it's, it's huge. Those, out of those thoughts, that create our feelings and we're all after a feeling right we're all waiting to get there if only i could get there if only i can lose all my weight then i'll be happy if only i could quit um, buffering with alcohol then i'll be happy if only i could divorce my bipolar husband then i'll be happy but what we now know is that i get to decide how i want to feel and then create the thought that gives me that feeling. So I can be in the, just this morning, prime example. Um, my husband loves to get in the kitchen and cook and mess and do and be busy. And he is notorious for turning on the toaster oven, like on high, mm -hmm. or turning a burner on on our gas stove. And then he'll walk away. <laughs> he will leave, like, not even just leave the kitchen, but he'll go to the garage. Like, oh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I come walking in because I'll hear it, like, bubbling, or I'll hear something boiling, or I'll smell, like, hmm, I didn't, I'm not cooking anything, you know. And I walk into the kitchen, and I'm like, what is going on? We're going to burn the place down. This morning, he had, he had opened the fridge doors, and then he just walked away. He walked all the way to the back of the bedroom into the closet. And I'm looking around as if I'm missing something, right? I'm like, why, why do we have the kitchen door, the, the, the refrigerator doors open? Yeah. So all of that to say is that I can choose whatever I want to think about him doing those things, right? Yeah. I can think really ugly, horrible things, <laughs> which only affect me. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Or I can think, oh, well. He's a human being, just being human. And sometimes humans forget to close the, the doors. And sometimes humans turn on the stove. <laughs> and isn't that funny? Walk away. That makes me chuckle. Yeah. Because I like to laugh yeah. about our life. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Like, well, here we go again. You know, like people could seriously write a sitcom just about our life. Like that would be funny. I'm sure that yeah. most of our lives would be funny if you put the right angle on it. <laughs> Yes. So I want to. So here I was. 
Can I ask yeah. you, like, can we get really specific about how you mm-hmm. changed the story? It's like, okay, because, I mean, I know how I felt. There was just years and years of resentment, and I've made a horrible mistake, mm. and you've, you've said all those things. So how do you want to feel? Like, how did you change it? How do you want to feel about your situation? Well, I think for me, I had to drop beating myself up. Because I was going to a place where I was constantly beating myself up, which is completely unhealthy. And I will say, it is a daily, ongoing practice for me. So our brain loves to preserve our, ourselves. It's all about self-preservation. It's all about safety. And confirmation it's about, bias. Yes. It's all about, like, my brain will go to zero, from zero to zombie apocalypse. Right? <laughs> like, there's no, like, seriously, like, I, there's not a lot of middle ground. Like, oh, my goodness. It's, we're going to die. Like, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Okay, so just stay inside, stay small, don't speak out, don't say anything, just stay really isolated. And then I, I it, it was kind of an awakening. It was a slow awakening of, wait a second, I don't want to live like that anymore. Yeah. There's no, there are no good results that come from that. And I think it was a combination of the self, my own awareness, like that glimmer of awareness of, wait a second, I've got my own brain. I can make my own choices. I, yes, we're married, but I'm still separate and apart from him. Yeah. And I want to create a life that is happier and more fulfilling and more full of joy, whether he is here with us or not. Yeah. So how do I create that, right? And then coupled with the self-coaching, the, the things that we hear on a daily basis and the work that I did through the life coach school, a lot of it, well, all of it is our thoughts. So we learned a technique called the thought download Mm -hmm. and the thought download. All that is, is you're getting all of the thoughts that your brain loves to tell you out on paper. And there's something really special about writing it out. Many times we want to just say in our heads, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is kind of what I'm thinking, but there's, something very valuable about seeing those thoughts and what I began to understand was how negative I was talking to myself. Yeah. All those thoughts that are on auto that are on a loop in my brain were so negative. And I had prided myself on being a positive person. Like, Interesting. Oh, look at me. Hmm. Look at me putting <laughs> on a happy face for everybody. Yeah. yeah. As long as everyone else thinks you're positive, then fine. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But when I started writing it down and I thought, oh my goodness, I speak so horribly to myself. No wonder. Because you can only fake it for everybody for so long. At the end of the day, you go home with yourself. I was going to say the thought download, that seems just as effective as going to a therapist. Like it's basically the Mm. same thing, but it doesn't cost you anything. It's Mm. just if you're willing to do it, which, you know, sometimes getting yourself to do it is hard, but it's it's the honesty. It's like getting it out there and oh. looking at it. It's like being your own therapist with the self-coaching. And you hit the nail on the head with the honesty. You have to write it with no judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's scary. Super scary. It's scary at first. Like my brain says really scary, negative things. And so then I take one of those thoughts, because a lot of it is junk. A lot of it is a lie. We're not, no one's going to be in a van living down by the river. Sure. Like we're going to be okay. Okay. Um, so I can discard those thoughts. They're not effective. They're not useful, but look at this one. And what I learned through the, through self coaching and through the life coach school was that we want to start observing those thoughts as they come up because just because I'm walking through it now and just because I have this knowledge, it doesn't mean those thoughts go away they still surface. And I now, though, I can look at them and go, oh, isn't that interesting that that's coming up again? Is there something in that process that disassociates you identifying with your thoughts? Like, because for me, I will say one of the hugest breakthroughs I've ever had in my life is the concept that you are not your thoughts. And like, that that was, I, I mean, it sounds so simple, but that was it for me. Do the, is there something along those lines in that whole, the thought downloads? Well, what's and... interesting about you are not your thoughts is that we actually create from our thoughts. 
So you are your thoughts, (laughs) unless you're the one controlling what your thoughts are. You are what you are thinking. We have power over our thoughts, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, so scripture tells us, take every thought captive, right? Mm-hmm. And so in this way, I'm watching those thoughts come in. Why? Because that's just how our brain is created. Mm-hmm. Remember the whole, um, in psychology, we studied fight or flight. Yeah. So yeah. it's that whole adrenaline response, right? And we protect ourselves from danger. Our brain is always in that hyper protect us from danger mode, right? We've got to protect. You've got to either fight or you've got to run, and here's the adrenaline to do so. So our brain is constantly coming up with, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, are you sure you want to do that? And in my experience, pretty much anything I do in either fight or flight is usually not the best course of action. So. Right, because it's coming from a place of fear. Yeah. Anything we do that comes from a negative space, from a negative emotion, produces negative results. Yep. So I'll give you an example of one of my thoughts. So my circumstance, like I said, is, and this is what we do on a daily basis. We do our thought downloads. We come up with all, we regurgitate all the thoughts, get them out of our head and onto paper. And even that is super cathartic, just getting those thoughts out so we can go, wow, you've been busy overnight. (laughs) And then (laughs) we can look at those and pick which ones we want to keep and discard what we don't. And then really look at what, isn't really serving us. So I am married to a man who happens to have bipolar disorder. My thought at the time was, I don't like my life. Yeah. And from that thought, had the feeling of depressed. I mean, it has depression all over it. Oh, yeah. And from our feelings, we create actions. All of our action, actions come from our feelings. So when I feel depressed, how do I show up in the world? Well, I cry. I buffer with food. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to sleep a lot. I want to hide from people. I withdraw. I become very small. So what is my result? My result is my life isn't... <laughs> I the result like is life. I don't like my life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to say that all of the results in our life are coming from the fact that I'm married to a man with bipolar disorder. No, they're coming from my thoughts. And that was the huge distinction that came from self-coaching and from me diving into to becoming a life coach was the realization that everything I created in my life was not because of a circumstance. And for 20 years of my life, well, probably 16 to 17 years of my marriage, I had blamed everything on my husband. The reason I was overweight was his fault. The reason we were in financial hardship was totally his fault. The reason I'm not happy is completely his fault because he has bipolar and it's the worst thing in the world and it makes our life a mess. No, I had to take ownership of that because I had to take ownership of my thoughts. And here's what's really interesting. So I can look at that model, and we call that the unintentional model, because we don't really want to think that. No. That's what's going on in our brain. That's what I wanted to think and dwell on. And so I think about that, and I think, well, of course I'm going to get that result. And guess what? I'm going to keep getting that result. I'm going to keep not liking my life as long as I think that thought. But what if I thought my husband has bipolar disorder? So what? Hmm. So what? That's pretty right? powerful. So now, right? And so now it changes everything. Now I get to create a feeling. My husband has bipolar. So what? Now what do I get to do? What do I get to do with that? And now I feel a little bit hopeful. Now I feel, oh, I can already tell that I'm bringing my power back. Oh, wait a second. I get to make choices. I get to decide some things. Well, it's interesting because there's a part of us that's so resistant to wanting to be honest and to own those things. But once you do, it's the best feeling ever. Like the the feeling mm. of getting your power back. I mean, that's 
amazing, but it's so scary to yeah. like take that first step. Well, and there's thoughts behind that resistance, right? So there's the work, right? Why are we resisting? Mm-hmm. Why, do where's that <laughs> Why do we do that? From? <laughs> yeah. So there's the work, like what's creating this feeling of resistance for me? What am I holding back against? And see what thoughts come up from there, right? And do the thought download on that. Get those thoughts out. Start looking at those thoughts and start picking them apart one at a time and seeing what feeling is created from that. I think sometimes we're afraid of, and here's the question I like to ask, what would happen if you didn't? Well, can I... Pick out a thought... I have a very specific memory and yeah, I, I didn't go to the life coach school, but I did do counseling. And I remember one time, yeah. um, I, and this was when I was still going with my husband and we were mostly just focusing on him. Cause you know, you bring them to the therapist and say, fix him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I mentioned just really briefly that I don't want to go to the darker side of myself. And I almost said it Ooh. as a joke. I was, cause it's like, I have so lost touch with that side of me that I almost want to pretend it's not even there, but I kind of like made a joke about it. And my therapist was like, okay, what now? (laughs) And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I I mean, yeah, like I feel like there's this dark, depressed, really sad part of me, but if I open that up, it will explode and it will never stop coming out. Like that was my fear that there is so much sadness that it will open up a well and I will not recover. I I think that's what I believed. Well, so let's talk about that because with the knowledge that I've been given um, just from the life coach school, we know that the worst thing that can ever happen to any of us is a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's the feeling. And so we can, we're actually feeling that feeling now that we're afraid to feel. We're just feeling it ahead of time, right? Yeah. Like we're already carrying that around with us. So if you're resisting this, what you're resisting is that emotion. And isn't that what we're doing when we we either either chase after an emotion or we spend our lives avoiding an emotion? Yeah. Right? So I don't want to pursue something because I might risk embarrassment. I might risk putting myself out there and being ashamed when it goes awful. And so I'm not going to do the thing that I really want to do because I don't want to feel embarrassed. Well, guess what? You're feeling it ahead of time. (laughs) Yeah. And you haven't, you haven't done any, you haven't put yourself out there. You're living a very small life. So that would be something to explore if you're resisting a feeling. Well, and the opposite ended up being true in my case. Like once, once you open the door and open the floodgates, like really the worst was, was over. It, I did do it ahead of time. And once I got it mm. out, it went away and now I'm happy. Yes, it's <laughs> you know? it's so, so it's so powerful because what we walk people through when we coach people, is we get them actually, our whole job is just to show people what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Like that's just really my job. I just have to show you what you're thinking, show you what emotions you're creating and show you what actions and results that's creating for you. And once we get to that feeling portion of it, because people want to rush, right? People want to go, well, give me a thought that feels better. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really mean because I make people sit with their feelings that they don't want. Well, that's how you stop buffering, right? Yes. Yes. Because why, why was I buffering? I was buffering because I was super stressed out and I couldn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel I wanted to feel relaxed, but if I had just sat with that feeling, and it usually it usually passes within 10, 15 seconds sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you sit with it longer, and here's the interesting thing about emotions, because our brain is hardwired to some of these thoughts that we've been thinking for so long, that feeling comes back. It's like waves in the ocean. But every time it comes back, guess what we do? Now that we're aware of it, now we recognize it. And again, just like our thoughts, when that emotion comes back, we go, oh, yeah, you're back. Welcome. I'm going to sit with you for a little bit. And you're going to go away. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. 
I, because I many just... of us have have memories. Like I can think of shameful experiences or embarrassing moments mm-hmm. in my life from my past, and that feeling comes up for me as if it happened yesterday. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, well, come on in, make yourself at home. We're going to sit for a while, and mm-hmm. it passes. But I I have found too that. It, it does start to be very recognizable, like, oh, there's there's my fight or flight. Hello. <laughs> like, and it's almost like, oh, cute little, cute little you. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's not as threatening, yeah. you know. Because here's the, you know, what's interesting about it, it, you know, the whole goal I have, I coach some people and they say, I just want it to be, it's not that I want it to be rainbows and butterflies all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you kind of do. But the, the whole point of life is, is that it's not rainbows and butterflies all the time. It's yeah. just not. We can't experience the fullness of joy without sadness. Doesn't Brooke have like a percentage? Like it's going to be this. What yeah, did she it's, say? It's, it's, it's 50-50. 50-50, yeah. 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You just get to decide, you know, and many of us with, we're so, we've, we've been taught from early on, like I know my parents taught me, oh, we want you to go to college so you can get a good job so you'll be happy. We want mm-hmm. you to find a spouse so you can be happy, right? Everything had this be happy clause. Well, it's the equation. It. Do the things and get the happy result. And exactly. It's... And so then we think something is wrong with us when we're not happy. Yeah. And I did so what you told me chasing. to. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up chasing after what we think will make us happy because we certainly don't like feeling sad or gloomy or depressed. Or we, we know those must be bad. Mm-hmm. So then we chase after the overspending or the overeating or the overdrinking or the whatever. We're just increasing our unhappiness on the back end. Yeah. Right? Because we're certainly not going to like our results of debt and extra weight and an alcohol issue on the back end. Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, one of my personal mantras is balance. And I think that falls in the same line. Like you, you can't have like the 50-50 thing. That's part of the balanced equation. And you can't try to shove all your resources onto the one half. <laughs> like you just. Right. Well, and it's just, it's, it's just noticing. Circumstances are facts. Yeah. So even if whatever we think of the circumstance, it's our thought about that circumstance that makes it, quote, good or bad, Mm -hmm. right? And that creates that feeling for us. And so our feelings, we're going to have a balance of a mixture of 50-50. We're going to feel 50% awesome and wonderful and rainbows and daisies. We're going to feel 50% not so much. Well, and don't you think, too, like with the 50-50 thing, it's like, yeah, maybe 50% of the things are maybe not going super well right now, but it's not 100% right now either. Like mm-hmm. amid whatever is going on currently, there are great things that you're choosing not to notice because of where you're putting your focus. And again, it's all about our thoughts. Yeah. The thoughts that come up. Because most of the time, our brain wants to escape to you know oh my gosh destruction impending doom and we just have to watch it i'm telling you it's so interesting i was just peer coaching this morning and she said oh my goodness my thoughts are actually talking to themselves now and (laughs) i said oh my goodness that's amazing because she said i had this really bad thought and my other thought was wait a second you know so she was having this dialogue in her brain and she was sitting kind of observing like these two thoughts having this conversation, like, oh, oh my goodness, you know. And he said, I know, isn't it crazy? Like, it's the most powerful thing. It's, it's really our, our brains at work and that we control that. We have ultimate control, not, our, not what's happening around us, not the fact that our husband or our spouse or our partner is dealing with their mental health issue. It's what we're, we're choosing. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Look forward to part two coming out in the next couple of weeks. Thanks again for everyone who's already a member on Patreon. Please do that. It helps me keep the podcast on the air and helps reach more people, which is exactly what we want because we all need to know that we are not
not alone in the things that we're going through. So it's patreon.com slash mental health marriage and any event helps. And you can also always email me at mentalhealthmarriage at gmail.com. And stay healthy and grounded and we'll talk to you.